So this notion of human enhancement, it's a concept that triggers a plethora of images. Androids, cognitive enhancement, physical enhancement, steroids, maybe even the notion of eugenics. So obviously a lot of things to unpack here. And through this next 20 minutes, I'm going to talk about four broad concepts around human enhancement. So the first signpost is really talking about the social, political, and cultural basis behind human enhancement. Where have we come as a species? What's an interesting point in time today, in, in this point in time in history, and where that goes into the future? The second area of interest is talking about a few different frameworks to think about human enhancement. Obviously, uh, we need to think about this in a systematic, rigorous approach. The third concept is talking about some of the interesting areas of, of human enhancement that I'm personally curious about. And then lastly, talking about the morality and ethics of human enhancement. So let's talk about the social political basis of human enhancement and what that means in this era today. I think one of the biggest sources of anxiety in our society today is a notion that AI and automation is deprecating the role of humans in, in the world. And what does that mean? Well, the difference that specifies the difference between us and lower animals is this notion that, one, we have this high order cog general cognition where we can learn, adapt, and then most importantly, pass along that information to the next generation of our species, right? So if you look at lower order animals, monkeys, ants, these species have a very hard time of transferring knowledge beyond their one single generation. And then two, what I think gets people a lot more scared and a lot more curious about the future of our species is this notion of that basically humans are this one unique species that has an ambition to manipulate and control the environment around them. And that's an aggressive instinct. And if AI, if automation has an objective function that sort of spirals out of control, what happens to our place in humanity when these machines have much more greater ability even than humans to pass along information across each generation, and then two, um, potentially just as aggressive uh, instinct to control more and more resources. Another broad problem that may seem immediately unobvious here is metabolic syndromes that are debilitating society today. And what I mean by that is if you look at the trends around just human performance, we're some of the sickest cohort of humans ever to exist. In terms of obesity, we're expected to be over half of us obese, three quarters of us overweight or obese in 2050, right? So like basically three out of four of us in this room have just bad metabolic states. Diabetes, Alzheimer's, metabolic syndromes as well. So this is sort of dipping into the healthcare notion and I think we all understand intuitively that our healthcare system is broken. Um, we can talk about like the specific details of Obamacare or potential Trump care, but I think the broad macro trend here is that I think we as a society realize that we have some of the highest healthcare costs with some of the lowest 
healthcare outcomes. So clearly, something's broken here. And you might wonder, how are these two concepts of sort of AI and automation and metabolic syndromes, how are they related? Well, the notion is that they're really two sides of the same coin. And I think it's important to think about enhancement, human enhancement, around this broader historical perspective. So if you look at human performance as a spectrum, well, we're bringing people from unhealthy to healthy states and potentially enhanced states. I think this sort of thinking and approach really grounds what we mean by human enhancement. And the approaches for human enhancement beyond sort of the bifurcation, the artificial bifurcation of medicine, which is the diagnostics, treatment, and prevention of disease, moves and, and shifts closer to enhancement. These should be thought about in the same context. So let's dive into that a little bit deeper in how we should think about this sort of as signpost to a framework of how to think about human enhancement. So medicine is this like monopoly on how we think about bringing people from sick states to normal states. Um, and in theory, that's, that's obviously a good thing. But in practice, it's actually you know, kind of silly how we actually practice medicine today. Uh, if you think about how we actually talk to and engage with our doctors, we go to for an annual checkup maybe once every year, once every two years. And because of this interesting incentivization structure of big pharma and big insurance, well, they're often just fast correcting with prescription drugs. Um, and I think one way to think about it is that if you're driving a car, imagine that you could only look at the road once every 30 seconds. And that's essentially what a snapshot or a check-in is in a, a medical context, right? You go to the doctor, you get all your biometrics measured, and boom, you have to do a quick course correction. That seems very silly in the notion of how we best optimize ourselves. Whoops. Let's go back one slide. So this is where this notion of biohacking is taking a lot of momentum and steam around the general Silicon Valley and across the world. How do we think about humans from a much more first principles or an engineering perspective? In a lot of ways, we can think of our system as, as, as a computer system, right? We have a certain set of inputs into our system and we care about certain performance outputs, whether that's reaction time, being smarter, being faster. And if you think about it as any system, there's sets of inputs to optimize a set of outputs. So why not think about humanity in that same lens? And I think a lot of the big momentum around biohacking today is also based on the social political trend around populism and bring information and power back to the people. Right now, health is sort of dominated by big insurance, big pharma, these doctors that are poorly incentivized, whereas information technology, the tools, the sensors that are becoming more and more available are within our own hands. Why not restore this power back into the people's hands? So to be very clear on what biohacking means, sets of inputs that we want to optimize for a certain performance outputs, and let's be very quantitative and measurable 
to, to optimize the outputs that we actually do care about. And a couple of these inputs that, um, or outputs rather, that are interesting are, are listed here. And for example, you know, one thing that we've seen a lot of growth in is continuous glucose monitoring. Uh, I'm wearing a glucose monitor right now, so I can actually read the amounts of blood in, uh, glucose in my bloodstream right now. And it's 7.7 .7 millimolar per liter, which is fairly elevated. It means that I'm probably a little bit stressed. My cortisol is up, releasing more glucose, a flight or flight response. And this is interesting because now I can start tracking and understanding how my body is doing. And again, if you go back to the framework of caring about outputs that we want to optimize for, well, this is the first step to understanding how my body is doing and then what kind of inputs I can put into my system to optimize certain outputs. Other aspects that we do care about in terms of enhancing humanity is reaction time, working memory, you know, productivity on our computers, right? These are cognitive performance outputs that we care about in our day-to-day -day lives as we are productive members of society. Another area of enhancement that people care about is obviously living longer. How, you know, what are biometrics that we care about that are signals for, you know, telomere length, inflammation, insulin sensitivity. These are all baseline metrics that we care about for potentially living forever. And obviously, that was the outputs. So what are these interesting inputs? And we can segment this across a bunch of different areas, right? Cognitive, metabolic, implants, devices, genetics. But again, let's think about it in a more systematic approach. Obviously, there's a whole universe of things we can be to do to, to think about enhancement. And I'd like to propose one way we should all be thinking about it, and that's talking about the degrees of enhancement. So we have three broad categories of how to think about enhancement. Second degree, first degree, zeroth degree. And I, again, I like to bring things down to a quantitative, systematic approach. So what is the second degree enhancement in this new framework? Well, we as humans have these existing input and output channels. Input meaning things that we can take into our system and output channels that we use to express and manipulate the environment around us. So using a computer analogy, input is like the mouse, the keyboard, and output is like the monitor display and other information that's being transmitted. So secondary enhancement is sort of the highest level term in, in, in sense of how intimate we get in towards down of an enhancement. So second degree enhancement is hijacking and manipulating uh, the existing input channels into our system. So that could be through diet, through supplements, consumables. And you might say, hey, these are weak forms of human enhancement. But things like steroids, EPO, testosterone, I mean, these make people win world championships. So clearly, these are not necessarily meant to be weak enhancements to the human system but that actually can be very potent in terms of increasing physical and cognitive performance. First degree is a little bit more intimate into the human body, and that's creating a new input and output channel. And to think about this, this is like adding a new sensor to your iPhone or you know, adding a, a GPS signal to your mobile phone, which enables new applications like Uber 
the front-facing camera on this phone enable things like Snapchat, back-facing camera enable things like Instagram. Well, we can also add new input-output channels to the human body, right? And if you look at the same analogy as mobile devices, the more input and output channels that we put on the computer system, the more interesting things you can do with the computer system. Well, the same analogy should apply, therefore, to human systems. The more input and output channels that we have on our own bodies, well, theoretically, there's more interesting things we can do with our own bodies. So I've already shown you a new input-output channel, my blood glucose. And why is that important? Well, back to the biohacking principles. If you're not measuring things, how can you optimize them? And obviously, the amount of sugar in our system is just one core metabolic signal that tells how our bodies are performing. But other things in terms of enhancement that we can think about as new input and output channels um, could be bionic arms, bionic legs, um, bionic eyeballs, right? Like these things can enhance our physical performance and cognitive performance. A couple exciting things that I'm curious about are things like neural laces or implants into the brain directly. And these kinds of innovations are interesting because, again, we're currently constricted by input and output channels of how we can communicate. And machines can communicate basically at the speed of light, right? These are transmitting photons back and forth. Well, what if I could be outputting information a lot faster, right? I'm basically talking X words a minute. What if I just dump this entire presentation into your brain instantly? That's, that's sort of the promise of increasing new input and output channels. And then lastly, the most intimate form of human enhancement is what I call a zeroth-degree enhancement, which is really just modifying our fabric as what it means to be human. So you can look at CRISPR genome editing as one aspect of that, or even implanting nanobots into our brains directly, right? So our neurotransmitters in our brain is the blocking signal of how fast our neurons can think. It's a chemical that's moving between neurons. But that's actually pretty slow, even though we have relatively quick reaction time from you know, an absolute sense, it's very slow compared to the speed of light. So what if we had nanobots that communicated with our neurons using other signals besides chemistry, but what if it was based on electricity or the speed of light? And what if we just didn't even need bodies themselves? What if you were just completely virtualized entities and now the input-output limit is basically the speed of light, where you're going from, again, from the top, second degree, which is hijacking existing input-output channels, first degree, enhancing or adding new input and output channels in zeroth degree, what if we just unlocked to the laws of physics? Our input and output channels are just bounded by the speed of light. And I think this is a helpful framework to think about, okay, what are technologies that are coming, emerging, and how do we categorize and think about them in a, in a proper, systematic way? Now, this leads to the third aspect of the signpost that I sort of laid out in the beginning, which is areas I think are exciting. So one personal area of excitement is cognitive enhancement. And as I alluded to the, at the beginning of this talk, you know, the, the, the one interesting characteristic of humans is that we have cognition that's beyond lower animals. And that's like a unique aspect of humanity that we want to be increasing. So nootropics and cognitive enhancing compounds are personally interesting, as well as 
technologies like Nero Lace, things that enhance our ability to communicate within ourselves as well as with other members of our tribe or entity. And another interesting aspect that I'm excited about is altering our metabolic states. Um, and what does that mean? So if you look at our biology, uh, when we were single-celled bacteria in the start of life, we were anaerobic, meaning that we didn't need oxygen to create energy. And as our brains, as life's brains, we needed to be smarter, we, had, we started having brains, we needed a more potent energy source, and that's where we evolved aerobic uh, metabolism, using oxygen and glucose to fuel our brain cells. But what if you run out of glucose? Well, then you die, that's not good. So humans evolved ketone metabolism, which is using fat turning to ketone bodies as an energy source. And that's super interesting because it makes us a lot more efficient in terms of our metabolism. We have a lot more power per unit oxygen, and also it's the preferred energy source for the brain. So there's interesting studies that show that, hey, if you're on ketone metabolism versus glucose metabolism, a lot clearer, a lot faster, a lot smarter. So obviously that's very interesting from a modern human performance perspective, and that's why a lot of modern athletes are looking at ketogenic diets or other ways that shift their meta metabolism state, right? Before, you need to be in like crazy starvation modes, to access this turbocharged mode of metabolism. How do we just trigger that instantly? That's an interesting area of research. And obviously, a last area that I think is exciting is is how do we close, start closing the loop of things that are inputting into our system and going out, right? We have these, all these sensors now available everywhere, right? These phones are supercomputers on us. How do we start closing the loops of all the different inputs into our system, track those outputs, and then start closing the loop to start optimizing ourselves? So, sort of brings me to the close here, which is, Human progress doesn't stop. I think we have ups and downs in terms of how technology moves, but the overall arcing history is that humanity just is always aggressive on pushing things forward. So I don't think it's a question of how or, or, or when human enhancement will occur. It's how we should do it responsibly. There's obviously a lot of ethical questions around is there going to be an imbalance of power, right? Are the rich only going to get richer? Well, there's a lot of other counter-arguments that, hey, through smartphones, you actually help people that are poor, you know, quit catch up faster, right? At the, in, the, in the 80s, we had these giant mega, mega smartphones, and now everyone has like these $20 Android phones. I see the same thing happening with human enhancement, where you do have the initial wave of people getting access to these technologies first, but, but because the benefits are so broad, it very quickly democratizes. Another interesting concern is, well, will we be this sort of androgynous, weird sci-fi creature? I would argue that, you know, people say, hey, are, are we losing the humanity there? I think the argument is sort of the opposite. I think we'll see more variation where we have our own choices of implants and things we want to optimize for. You know, I might want, you know, a device that helps me breathe underwater. You might want to see in, in, at, at night, right? I think we'll have the access to act, have all those types of variability. So I think we would see more dynamic peop people, not less dynamic people. And then lastly, 
Um, let's do it responsibly, right? So one of the exciting initiatives that we're launching this year is yearofbiohacking.org, where a bunch of different companies like Ubiome, Nutribox, the company that I founded, uh, Soylent, a bunch of quantified self-tracking apps are offering our services at a special package to help people get started into biohacking. So I want to leave with a final thought. Let's all be more thoughtful of the inputs and outputs putting into our system and create a better humanity moving forward. Thank you.